Ah, it's great to see everyone. If we've not met before, my name is Matt, and I have the great honor and privilege of being one of the elders here at Real Life Church. And, and that means today I get to continue our preaching series on Leviticus. Let me just get my clock. There was a whoop there. On Leviticus. There it is. Okay. Um, just a quick aside. I'm not, I'm not officially counting this as time yet, Stuart, by the way. Um, yesterday afternoon, um, I had terrible pain in my nose, kind of real fire. Um, I assume it was some sort of kind of sinusitis thing going on. Uh, I had that a long time ago, and I was just, I texted out the leaders yesterday. I said, oh my gosh, just please pray for me, because I'm not sure how I'm going to be doing this, because my face was literally on fire. I've woken up this morning, and the pain is completely and utterly gone. So... I just want to say thank you to those that pray, but thank you to Jesus um, for taking that pain away, which means hopefully I can now talk to you and and share this message. So we were um, challenged by Melanie this week to celebrate the breakthroughs, even in the small things and the big things. I pray that Jesus will heal me of my diabetes at some point, but at the same time, I'm going to celebrate that this morning I'm stood here and my face is no longer on fire. So thank you, Jesus. Um, So... Before I get cracking with this um, passage, I just want to address the elephant in the room. So uh, we have had a little bit of a social media campaign. Um, The reason for this has been, so when we prepare for a new preaching series, this is kind of Stuart looks after this um, area of the church for us as part of his eldership responsibility. He will bring it to the elders, he'll bring it to the leadership team, we'll talk about what's coming up. And obviously he said, I feel we should preach through Leviticus. We had lots of chats about it. And the ongoing joke was constantly, who is going to get the section on discharges and infectious diseases and all this sort of thing. So obviously we joked about it. And then the preaching rater comes out. And I see I'm preaching on February the 13th. And I was like, brilliant, that's the day before Valentine's Day. So maybe if the passage is appropriate, I could get something in there about love and sharing love and all those kind of things. And then, of course, I go a step further, daily purity, look at the passage. I'm like, thanks, Stuart. Thanks. So um, I probably won't talk much about Valentine's Day because we are going to be in the context of infectious diseases and mildew and and not particularly kind of, um, let's say, sexy things, shall we say. Um, But I did feel, just before I get into this passage, that I deserve, Stuart, a special thank you. So if we could jump back to the extra slide, Ruth. Um, We did have this social media campaign. We're trying to up our presence online to tell people more about our church. So I had this vote. Um, I discovered in the passage that crickets are one of the things that God has always said are okay to eat. It wasn't a case of they were than they weren't. They've always been okay. And I'm quite a foodie, and I've never eaten a cricket. And I think, what am I missing out on? If God has said they are always good to eat, maybe, maybe we should have a go. So I've got a bowl of crickets here. Um, These are edible crickets, full of protein, by the way. No fat, lots of protein. Now, Facebook said no. Instagram said yes. So what better way to thank Stuart for this passage, um, to invite Stuart Crane up on stage. And Stuart, you can choose your own cricket. Because somebody suggested Phil and I did this together. I think we as elders should stand here and embrace the bounty that God has given us. Now, the only thing I'll say to you, if it's really bad, I took some advice from John the Baptist, and there is a pot of honey over there, and he used to have locust and honey. Oh, right, yeah, so yeah. would you like your cricket with honey, or would you like no, it just I'm as good, it comes? I'm good, I'm good. Okay, so you count down from three. Oh, I've got 
<laughs> Anyone else can have that one. I've not tried these before. They stink, by the way. Oh, I just, I'm trying a small one. Thank you. I've gone for the big one. I don't know why. For those of you listening at home, we are now retrieving a dead cricket from a bowl. Are you ready? Yeah. Can we get three, two, one? So, three, three two, one. Cheers. <laughs> Thank you. Well, it. Thank you. Again, for those listening at home, that bang was not me falling over. Um, if anyone wants to try one, they're there. Feel free to jump up now and give one a go. Share them around, I don't mind. Um, and if you like them, I have a whole bag. You can have the rest. Hold on. <coughs> they, are, they are roasted. I'm, I'm eating now. So, back to Leviticus. <laughs> Good morning. I'm actually going to officially start the timer now. I didn't count that. Sorry, Stu. So, here we are in Leviticus. Stuart has introduced the passage to us. We have um, gone through the ritual sacrifices, the ordination of priests, and here we arrive today at the um, laws of daily purity. Next week, Stuart's back up, um, bringing us to kind of the, the pinnacle of this, to the Day of Atonement, and we'll talk about the bit where man gets to, the priest gets to go into um, kind of the presence of God and enter that place at the, at the very heart of the camp of Israel. So that's kind of where we're going. We're getting to the very exciting bit next week with Stuart. Well done. Um, and so this week, it's the last bit of the kind of the rules of how people um, could live in the camp. So the big question for me today was, how can a sinful people come before a holy God? Okay, so kind of the big idea, I think, that overrides this, God is holy. God is set apart. Only the God and the priest, after all the, the rituals and the sacrifices and the tabernacle, are holy. Those are set apart for God. Everything else is common. And what this particular passage helps us with is within this branch of everything else, so people, animals, objects, is the things that are common, are they clean they can come close to the presence of God, or are they unclean and they have to be removed from the camp? So this whole passage deals with this idea of clean and unclean, those that can approach God and those that can't, because uncleanliness prevents people from entering the presence of God. It separates man from God. So Leviticus is a bit of a manual for helping us to understand this. Now, some of it there are obvious kind of hygiene reasons and reasons and health reasons and well-being reasons. Um, think about COVID. I'm sure you're aware of this um, thing that's been going on. Um, when someone gets COVID, what happens? Or when we kind of get into this pandemic, we had um, mask wearing to stop the spread of COVID. We had isolation to stop the spread um, of COVID. So we've got some appreciation, some appreciation of what it feels like to say, okay, here's something which is infectious, let's isolate it, let's try and remove it to stop the spread. And some of the things we'll hear about in here have got a similar kind of idea to them. But what I'm not going to do is go through every single item in these chapters and try and give you a reason. This is why God put this in. This is why God put that in. 
what I'll try and do is draw out some of the interesting points I found and God spoke to me about. But ultimately, overriding all of this is the fact that God is holy. God is set apart. God is awesome. God is all-powerful. And at the end of the day, there isn't an obvious reason for everything in this passage, but God has said so. God is the Lord over everything. He is the creator. So it's his God's word. God has decided in his power and authority what is clean, what is unclean, what can come close to him, what cannot. And that's, that's for him to decide. So we can't unpick every tiny little thing because ultimately it all comes back to because God has said so. Um, but God does want his people to be close to him. That's always been his desire. We can see that in the Garden of Eden, that God created Adam and Eve to walk with him in the Garden of Eden. That was always his desire for man and God to walk together. So he establishes in this um, bit of the Bible kind of an ongoing but temporary way for this to happen through the rules of daily purity. And this is only kind of what we call ceremonial purity. So it's only kind of in that moment. It's temporary. It's not forever. And it doesn't make them holy in character. It doesn't kind of do that work. This is kind of more of an outside um, purity as people to come before God. Um, but they are temporary and they won't last forever. So he calls his people, Israel, um, to be set apart for him, God's chosen people. Because he himself is set apart, he calls for his people to be holy, for I am holy. And for us today, um, sin separates man from God. It, pre it prevents man from approaching the holy God in the same way that uncleanliness did and does. So this gap still exists. But Leviticus is a shadow of what was to come. The priests made um, discerned whether things were clean or unclean and went through those processes. But for us, Jesus is the ultimate, once and for all, perfect, life-changing for all-time sacrifice who satisfies every ritual, every purifying necessity, and he has bridged that gap for all time. So we don't have to be separated from God because we have Jesus. So how can the unclean come before a holy God? They followed the rules, they were cleansed. We see that in Leviticus, but it was temporary. How can we, a sinful people, come before a holy God? There's only one answer, and that answer is Jesus. Thank you. Good. So that's kind of the overriding thing. So we'll take a summary approach. Hopefully some people have had a listen. I know a few people have been commenting um, on the passage as we go through. I'll pull out a few things, and then we'll pull it back together with some application at the end. So let's go into the eating. Let's find out what God has determined was clean for his people and unclean, what could come into his presence and what could not. So um, with the eating things, we see in the Old Testament um, kind of repetition of different um, thoughts about eating and touching dead animals and things. We see in Adam and Eve, um, they weren't allowed to eat from the, the apple, the fruit from the, the tree of knowledge. That was probably the first dietary law. Then Noah was only allowed certain animals into the ark that could come in, that couldn't come into the ark. And then there's various rules on animals that could be used as sacrifices and what had to be true of those animals. So it wasn't unusual to have rules around animals. Um, so in this passage, we get a few more specifics about what they could and couldn't eat um, and also what they could and couldn't touch. So you weren't supposed to touch the carcasses of any of the unclean animals either and the blood of both clean and unclean animals um, was always not to be touched. 
So there's a differential between what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, but when it came to the blood and consuming or touching the blood of the animals, it didn't matter if they were clean or unclean. Blood was always not allowed in that context. Um, and again, part of the reason for this is that blood in the Bible is seen to be a symbol of life. Therefore, it's a symbol of life, and life is sacred. So we kind of hold blood in that esteem of trying to keep it slightly set, of trying to keep it set apart. Blood was also used in sacrifices for sin, and ultimately the blood of Christ led to our salvation. So it's a common theme of God not wanting blood to kind of become a common food. So blood of unclean and clean animals was always something to avoid touching or consuming. So we've got the land animals. So we, they were allowed, to, I keep saying we, they were allowed to eat um, animals that chewed the cud and had a split hoof. So chewing the cud, if you're not aware what that means, is to repeatedly eat partly digested food. So it's the concept, isn't it, of swallowing, bringing it back up, chewing it a bit more, swallowing it, chewing a bit more. It's going to be a great morning, isn't it? Um, cows, sheep, animals like that were okay. So they were okay to eat steak, but sorry guys and girls, because I'm sure you like steak too. Um, if you like your steak kind of almost mooing, that wouldn't have been allowed because it would have contained blood. So it would have had to be drained of blood and well cooked. So not the best steak, but still you're allowed to eat it. Water creatures with fins and scales. So those that could swim about and kind of avoid the potential parasites on the bottom of the riverbed, on the bottom of the ocean, those things were not allowed. And also, bearing in mind, animals that scavenge on the sea floor were probably eating dead animals, dead fish, dead creatures on the seabed. And so you wouldn't have known if they still had other creatures' blood in their stomachs or if they were eating um, unclean food. Because you wouldn't want to risk eating a fish that had ate an unclean animal, because then if you, eat the un- if you eat the fish, which was clean, the unclean animal's in it. So they said, just don't. So if they're swimming around and they've got fins and scales, brilliant, you can eat those. Again, birds, um, there's rules as to what they could and couldn't eat. And again, part of the differential here is that some birds feed on the carcasses of dead animals, so you wouldn't want to risk eating a bird that had just eaten like a mouse, because if the mouse was still in the stomach, that's making me unclean. And those kind of, so, so there was rules there just to make sure that the Israelites weren't accidentally consuming the blood of animals or consuming animals that were said to be unclean. And flying insects... Again, who knows why, but God ordained this. As long as they had jointed legs, like crickets, grasshoppers, things like that, you're allowed to eat them. Things like cockroaches, no, you can't because they haven't got jointed hind legs. So I'm a celebrity. You wouldn't have been able to eat things like cockroaches, but you could have eaten crickets and locusts. And again, you saw John the Baptist eating locusts and honey. And there is, don't forget, some honey if you want to try a cricket with honey later on. Um, We've mentioned touching as well, that we had to avoid touching Um, dead creatures in general. So what happened if you did eat or touch something that God had said was unclean? So it's generally about washing. Um, Washing clothes, you would stay unclean until the evening, but you were always able then to wash um, yourself, wash your clothing, wash whatever the dead animal had fallen into, whatever else it had touched. There was always a process of washing that would make you and the items clean again, apart from the odd clay pot that had to be destroyed and burnt. Okay, so um, with animals, it was kind of there in the day, really. Sort it out in the evening, and then you could generally come back um, to kind of start again the next day. Um, And God says in this passage, be holy because I am holy. So right at the outset of these chapters, a reminder that the Israelites are set apart by God 
called to be holy because their God is holy. So it just gives us again that umbrella. Don't worry about all the finer detail. God is holy, so let's make sure we know exactly what's clean, what's unclean. And, and the rules also here help to separate um, the people of God from the other nations. So the Israelites are living in the camp, and we'll see a few of these rules that just help to make God's people set apart for him. It was very clear who the Israelites were living in the camp, what they could and couldn't eat, how they prepared their food was very different to what happened outside of the camp. Which is why when Jesus comes later in the story and he satisfies all the rituals and the sacrifices, that these rules are no longer required because Jesus makes it very clear that both Jew and Gentile, that is God's chosen people, the Israelites, and all the other nations can enter the kingdom of God through Jesus. So there's no longer this need for separation. There's no longer this need to drain the blood out of your food and prepare it in certain ways because Jesus has said, actually, that's the thing of the old covenant. Now in the new covenant, Jew and Gentile are both welcome to come into the kingdom through Jesus. So let's go to purification after childbirth. Um, There's some some big questions here that we, we don't know the answers to, but I will say this. This is not about sex. It's not about sexual functions. It's it's not the childbirth itself or periods or kind of anything to do with the sexual nature of our bodies that's a problem. These are all good. It's the blood, remember, because blood is seen as sacred because it's the symbol of life, um, and the other discharges that make people ceremonially unclean. So it's not, it's, not the <laughs> it's not the actual childbirth or the sex itself. Sex is good, and I will say that a few times. There you go. There's the link to Valentine's Day. Um, so... Um, new mums would isolate for 40 days if it's a son, 80 days for a girl, outside of the camp, separated from their husbands, separated from the rest of the camp. We don't know why it's longer for girls. It could be something to do with the sense of that society where men were generally, I don't want to say valued, but men were seen as um, kind of higher up, more important, and women were a bit more downtrodden in this society as we look back in history. So perhaps it gave the mum a bit longer to kind of bond with her daughter because, in all honesty, their life was going to be a little bit tougher. Um, But we don't know. But we don't know. That's all speculation. At the end of the day, God said that's how it is. But, you know, and this is a good thing uh, for the ladies out there that that would have been living in this time, it gave the mum a protection. Whether it was 40 days or 80 days, it meant she didn't have to do any jobs around the home, the, the cleaning, the cooking, the things that would have been expected in that time. I'm not saying about our time. Um, And also it would have kept the husband away. So the husband would have expected access to the marital bed. He would have expected to be able to have sex whenever he wanted it. So it did give the woman a break from the husband, from everything else that was going on to kind of bond with her baby and look after the baby. And that's just historical fact. Um, So notice the sacrifices then in this passage. Um, So after the period of isolation... There's a sacrifice for the mother's cleansing. Now, this is important, okay? Because the sacrifice was a year-old lamb as a burnt offering, which was cleansing after the defilement of the discharge and the blood, and then a dove or a pigeon as a burnt offering, which was a symbol of dedication to God. And it's really important, the order there, because if, if childbirth was sinful in any way, the sin offering would have come first, You'd have had the sin offering and then the burnt offering to rededicate to God. But actually, 
Sin isn't the issue here. That's why there wasn't a sin offering at the start. So childbirth, again, I say, is not sinful. It's about, I keep using this word, discharge. You're going to hear that word a lot today, sorry. Um, It's the loss of blood, the loss of life, and, and those kind of things. But the important point here is because God then makes a way, and he says, actually, if you can't afford a lamb, because a lamb would have been an expensive thing to sacrifice, instead, you can sacrifice two birds. Now, there's another famous character in the Bible that when they took their son um, back into the camp and made the sacrifices as he returned into camp or returned into the city, um, they sacrificed two birds. They gave the poor offering for their son. Now, who was that famous person? Jesus was the person. So um, Mary, when Mary and Joseph made the sacrifice, it was actually the, the poorer offering. So it just highlights again that Jesus not only came to earth, man, God as man, but also he was born into poverty. We see that in the stable, but also something about his family were poor. They sacrificed two birds. They couldn't afford the lamb, so they made that offering. It just highlighted something of Jesus' humility in how he chose to come to earth um, in that way. So let's do bodily infirmities, the importance of um, physical well-being. Yes, Um, I'm loving this. Um, Hope you enjoyed this. First we get the regulations, then we get how to deal with it. So we've got, who's read this? Who's actually read these or listened to those? Brilliant. It's fantastic. If you haven't, please go away and do. Um, there's swelling, there's rashes, there's, there's red spots, there's white spots, there's, there's pus, there's oozing, there's has it got a white hair growing on it? Has it got a yellow hair growing on it? Is it itchy? Is it skin deep? Is it, the doctors are there just going, yeah, whatever. Um, and it, there's lots of detail in here. There's lots and lots of detail. But basically, um, the role of the priest in all of this is highlighted to discern clean from unclean, infectious from not infectious in some cases. And these are God's rules. And the priest was only about diagnosis. um, um, And the only action the priest really took in this situation was taking someone out of the camp and allowing them back into camp and the processes associated with that. So the priest would kind of inspect people, inspect their things. Imagine what that was like. Um, Fortunately, we are now all priests. So this isn't just like you don't have to bring all your ailments to the elders in in our society. If this was still the case, you you wake up in the morning, you've got a boil on the side of your leg. Oh, no, what do I do? You go and see the priest. So that poor priest is going to be there with his sons kind of looking at everyone's... It doesn't bear thinking about, does it? I can think of better things to be doing in the morning, but that's how it was, and the priests would decide, using the laws of Leviticus, whether it was clean or unclean, and what was going to happen. It was about discernment, check, isolate, check, isolate, allow back in, check, isolate, allow, and you didn't know how long you were going to be out of camp for. Um, you'll notice here, uh, just big up the people here with not much hair. We're okay as long as your baldness is not created um, by some sort of sore or skin rash. Um, Kind of chosen, natural baldness was okay. It was only a problem for these people if it was as a result of some kind of skin infection. So I'll let you go away and read it. But um, the point I'm trying to make, I guess, um, is that if you woke up one day or discovered one of these boils or things on your body... Um, you didn't know what was going to happen. Possibly the priest would say, you're fine, come back in seven days and I'll have another look. But potentially he was going to send you out of the camp. 
He was going to send you out to be isolated, separate from God's people, further away from the presence of God, and on your own. So for them, this was a real state of mourning, which is why they were told to wear torn clothes, to let their hair be unkempt, unwashed, um, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. And actually, a lot of these things were how people showed mourning. So the unkempt hair, the torn clothes, covering the face, these were all signs of someone being in mourning. So it was this sense of loss as they were sent out of the camp further away from God's people to be isolated. And they had no idea when they would return. So what does this sound a little bit like? We've had a little bit of recent experience of this kind of thing. Not to the same extent, but I think it's worth acknowledging that with COVID, with this pandemic that's been going on, there is a sense of mourning. And we know that. There's this sense, isn't there? What is the government going to announce today? Is the government going to lock me down so I'm stuck at home on my own or stuck with my family? Am I going to wake up and find that this cold is actually COVID and therefore I have to isolate, isolate from my family or, or stay out of the way? And I think it's worth acknowledging the parallel here and saying, actually, it's okay. It's okay to wail. It's okay to shout. It's okay to express the grief of isolation, to express the grief of what's been lost. And Phil's been saying a lot of this recently. That actually, we feel that some people just need to go, and just shout it out there and go, this just isn't fair. I, I'm, yeah, there has been loss. We won't go into lots of detail. There has been loss. And I think it's important that people express that grief, express that mourning. And if you haven't done that, just get alongside someone and go, I just want to go, Bruh! and just express my grief over what I've lost through this period of COVID. It might be you've lost people. It might be you've just lost bits of life over the last two years. But there is that sense of mourning. So don't be afraid of expressing that and talking to people about it, please. And we'll see in a minute what it feels like then to come back in to the community um, in a moment. Just wanted to mention that, though. Um, let's go on to the next one, then. So infectious diseases. This is like the great manual. This is how you get back in amongst God's people, how you get back into camp. Um, so there's lots of instructions here. Um, there's killing of a bird over fresh water. So I'm just kind of picture this one. And you kind of collect its blood. You get another bird. You dip the live bird in the blood. Then you set the bird free. Um, over the open field, you wash your clothes, you shave your hair, you have a bath. You come back into camp, but you have to live outside your house for seven days. Then you can shave all your hair again, your whole body. You can wash again, bathe again, and you're clean. So there was a, there was a definite process to coming back into the camp. But once the unclean thing had ended, the pus had stopped, or the, the white hair had fallen out, and t- I don't know, the But once those things had happened, you were able to come back into the camp and come back into the presence of God. And there was a real sense of celebration then in coming back in. And actually, just following the kind of the COVID metaphor, um, we as leaders and other leaders within the church spent literally hours pouring over how do we help our church, our community to come back together Because people are mourning, people are grieving, they have been isolated. How do we help people to come back in, to celebrate coming back together, but also acknowledge there's been pain, to express that and then help people to feel good and ready and right. And just as I was reading this, I just thought, wow, there's so many many parallels here. 
So if you, if you are struggling with any of that stuff to do with COVID, about having been out, coming back in, or maybe you've not come back in and you're listening at home, please do talk to us because we want to help you come back in. We want to help you to mourn. We want to help you to be part of God's people again. Um, yeah, so people have gone. They've cleaned. Um, they've come back in. Uh, I've lost my way now. Tangent. Okay. Just want to make sure I don't miss anything out. We've got some stuff about mildew in this section as well. There's any builders out there, some quite helpful ways to get rid of mildew, kind of scraping, um, destroying things. Ultimately, though, if mildew spreads, I'm afraid the house was destroyed. So be careful if you have got mildew. Um, obviously quite dangerous. Um, and there were no sacrifices for, for mildew. That's quite an important point as well. There were sacrifices to be made as the unclean returned into the camp. That dedication back to God and that cleansing as they came back into God's presence. Sacrifices had to be made to allow them back into God's presence. Whereas for mildew, because it was about objects, it was about cleansing the object. It wasn't about your house having communion with God again. So there aren't, there aren't sacrifices for items. There are sacrifices for people to come back into the presence of God, which is why ultimately we need Jesus. Okay, let's talk about discharges. Uh, let's get these. Yes, thanks. Let's get some of these words out there to go with, um, to get them out of the way. So we've got um, unnatural discharges, diarrhea, weeping wounds, infections, pus, all, you know, unnatural things. Well, you know what I mean. When it talks about natural things, it's talking about things like periods, wet dreams, sexual um, emissions, and those kind of things. So there's a, there's a difference here between what is natural but is unclean and has to be cleansed and what is unnatural and has to be clean um, and cleansed. There's a great bit of um, Hebrew in here. Zob is the word used um, for discharge, which means to flow or to gush. Okay. <laughs> Tell it as it is. Um, it's, it's also used the flow of water from the rock in the wilderness, description of um, Israel as the land flowing with milk and honey. And it's used here to describe natural and unnatural discharges. Thank you, Stuart. Um, and I will point out again that sex isn't bad. Okay, sex is not bad. We see that as a theme in the Bible that sex is a good gift from God. Sexual functions are a good gift from God. But Israel was called to be a set apart people. So there's some extra rules for Israel compared to the rest of the nations that set them apart. Things like having to you know, wash and be cleansed after sex. Those kind of things were there for Israel. And there's some definite reasons around that. The pagans outside of the camp um, had taken sex and, to be honest, distorted, perverted it into something that God never intended it to be. So things like orgies or having sex in the temple, that's not what God intended it to be. Sex is um, man and woman married, being united in a gift from God. But other nations had perverted this. So actually putting some of these laws about sexual purity and um, discharges just kept Israel and the idea of sex and the action of sex to be kind of good as God intended it to be and it separated them and it protected Israel from allowing some of these pagan rituals and things to come into the camp of Israel so it just highlights this need God is set apart God is holy so he causes people to be set apart and holy okay so we're almost at the end of the, the going through the passages um, I will mention this though so it's about the discharges Okay, it's not about the actions. We've said this. Um, and if you haven't, yeah, no, no, I'll skip that. 
Um, so it's about the discharges that make people unclean. We don't need to hear about discharges, do we? Um, we have been reading through Mark alongside Leviticus. Okay, and in Mark, we've read just recently the story of the bleeding woman. She'd been to doctors, she tried all kinds of things, but she wasn't healed and she was still bleeding. Um, and her bleeding was a discharge, therefore she should have been removed from the camp. So she shouldn't have been around people in her state. So the very fact this bleeding woman was in the presence of people, let alone Jesus, was seen as kind of a sinful act. She shouldn't have been doing it. She was disobeying the laws of God. So she was there, and then even worse, she reaches out and touches Jesus. So we're seeing the Messiah come through, and this unclean woman is reaching out and touching him. Well, what happens at that point? Whatever she touches becomes unclean. It's been defiled. So really, Jesus in this moment should be made unclean by the act of the woman. But what you see in this very small little story here is the power and authority of Jesus being displayed. Because Jesus was not made unclean. What did Jesus do? He heals the woman. So rather than Jesus being made unclean, Jesus turns around and the woman is healed. The woman is restored in a way that only God could do. So therefore, just highlighting that Jesus was God. Jesus had the power and authority to God to walk on this earth, to heal, to set people free. So actually, if you really think about that in the context of this passage, I think it makes that story, for me, jump out even more. That Jesus was displaying his power and authority, not just to discern clean from unclean, which is what the priests of the time did. They would send people out of camp, but who did the healing? God. God was the one who took away the infection. God is the one who heals. Jesus in this story is the one who heals. So again, it's highlighting the sense that the priests of the day were temporary. All they could do was say, sorry, out you go, you're unclean, I'll see you in seven days, and we'll see if God has healed you or not. But the power of healing always comes back to God. So maybe read that story again in Mark and some of the other Gospels and just think about it in this context. So let's come back to the big idea, then we'll close with some application. So remember, uncleanliness prevents people from entering the presence of God. This passage really highlights just how holy, how set apart God is in many ways. And actually, we can't bring anything that's unclean into the presence of God. It had to be got rid of. And you can see the detail here of how much that was. But he made a way, and he made that way through Jesus, who is our high priest. And actually, Jesus is a better priest than they had, because the priest of the day discerned clean from unclean. Off you go, if you're unclean. Jesus, however, discerns clean from unclean, sinful from not sinful, and he heals and he restores, and he makes a way that is permanent, life-changing, and forever. So, it points towards the coming of Jesus as our great high priest. He reached out and touched the leper. That was against the rules, wasn't it? Because that would have made him unclean, but he is Jesus. He was touched by the woman that was bleeding. He sat and ate with tax collectors and sinners. And if you think about it in this context, as the Jewish Messiah, the people of Israel, the Jews, would have prepared all their food according to all these rules. He sat and ate with people that hadn't abided by these rules, hadn't followed these rules. So Jesus, that's why, in part why it was so confusing to people, 
and so astonished him was Jesus was sitting at the table where the blood hadn't been drained properly and perhaps some of the unclean food was being served. But Jesus was bigger than all of this because he is God and he has the power to heal, to forgive, to make clean. So the priest was about diagnosis and quarantine. Jesus is all about healing and restoration. So through Jesus, we are made clean for all time. And if you don't know what that means, to kind of accept that and follow that, it basically means acknowledging what Jesus did for all of us. It means saying, actually, I want to turn. I want to make new decisions to walk away from some of the things of my past that I don't think were right. And it means to say, I want to follow Jesus. It means just to make a decision to turn and say, actually, I'm going to try and live my life as best I can for Jesus. And obviously, we can help people with that at the end if they want to make that decision. So let's come into the last section. What does this mean for us today? How do we apply this to our lives? The principle of holiness. Um, We live in a new covenant. We don't have to abide by all these rules because Jesus has made a way for us to come into his presence. But we are still called to be a holy people, to be set apart for God. The Israelites lived that out. For us, what does this mean? Um, It says in Hebrews 10, Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Jesus, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. In 1 James chapter 1, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So we can kind of look at the New Testament and we can acknowledge the fact Jesus has satisfied all of these rules entirely, completely, and we walk into the presence of God through Jesus, through what he has accomplished. But then as we keep reading the New Testament, we still see we are called to be a discerning people, people that know the difference between what is good in the eyes of God and what is not good in the eyes of God, and that still applies to us today. Um, It's said in Isaiah, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And then we can jump to 2 Corinthians in the New Testament and read, don't team up with those that are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? For we are the temple of the living God. And then Paul quotes from Leviticus. Therefore, come out from among believers, separate yourself from them, says the Lord, don't touch their filthy things, um, and I will welcome you. Uh, in First Peter, uh, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Hebrews 12, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So note here, Jesus has made a way. This isn't about our actions and our deeds Um, affecting our ability to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to come into his presence. It's very clear from the first bits in Corinthians and many, many other places that Jesus has opened the way, he's made a way, we can live with God. Um, The barrier has gone, the divide has gone. But we also see that we are still called to be set apart and holy for God. And that's not about separating ourselves from people who don't know God, Because if we look at Jesus' example, we see he was definitely amongst people that did not believe in him and did not believe in God. It's not about separating yourself from people, but it is about being discerning about what we invest in, our time in, our lives in, and what we partake in. 
We are called to be holy because God is holy. And my motivation there is out of love. I know that God loves me. I know that God has said, this is good, this is not. I love God, therefore out of love, not guilt, not shame, but out of love, I want to do my best to be holy because my God is holy. And there's so many different areas in our lives we could apply that to. Uh, I'm going to give one example um, before we get the band back up. And this is a controversial one, so I thought, why not? It's been on my heart, but recently I've heard people talking about it. I'm actually going to talk about Harry Potter very briefly. So sorry if I offend anyone, but we are called to be a discerning people. And there are things in the Bible that are what we call closed-fisted. There is one way to God, and that one way to God is through Jesus. You will never hear anything else preached in this church. No other variation of that. There is one way to God. That is through Jesus. That's what we call kind of closed-fisted theology. There are other things where we get guidance in the Bible, and it's there that we have to be a discerning people, and we have to look at the themes, the messages of the Bible, and we have to make decisions. And I know, I think it's quite a good example, because even in this room, there are some that do, some that don't read Harry Potter, for example, or Halloween, and some of those other things. And we just have to do the best we possibly can. And that's why we as leaders try and speak into some of these things to help you in your own decision-making, in your own discernment. So with Harry Potter, as a personal choice, and I've heard other people say this recently, um, I feel personally that J.K. Rowling had to research actual witchcraft in order to write her book. Therefore, I'm worried that some of the stuff in Harry Potter is too close to actual witchcraft, which does exist, because I do believe there's a devil. Jesus is bigger than the devil, but the devil exists. Therefore, we choose as a family not to read, not to watch, and our kids don't partake in any Harry Potter activities at school. That's a decision we've made. That's for us. You make your own decision, but it's just an example of where we are called to discern. It might be about a TV program. It might be about a play you're going to see. It could be about all kinds of things. But we have to look at the Bible and just say, what sits right with me? What sits right with the Bible? And if you're not sure, talk to someone else. That's why we live in community. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have relationships, to help each other. Um, but with this particular one, my daughter, Delta, loves to read. She, she loves to read. And she devours books. But because we established this over kind of Harry Potter right at the beginning... What it's then done is it's enabled her to make good discerning decisions in life. So as a family, it was actually more My Little Pony, wasn't it? Uh, we started watching My Little Pony. It's really sweet, isn't it? Little fluffy horses and things. And all of a sudden, there's like witchcraft and spells and all kinds of weird things creep creeping in. We're like, that was never in My Little Pony, was it? So as a family, it was really hard because we had loads of these toys and stuff. We said, actually, we're going to discern that this is not helping us. If my children are going to sit and watch TV, if they're going to read books and play games, we discerned as a family that we are going to walk away from My Little Pony, and that's gone. So we don't do that in our house anymore. And that was really hard, wasn't it? There was tears, there was tantrums at the time. This was many, many years ago. But what it's done is taught our children something about discernment. What it's done is it's meant that quite often our Delta will bring a book, and she'll come and say to one of us, I'm not sure about this book. And you know what we do at that point? We say, Fine. It's out the door. It's gone. Um, proud dad moment. You know, I love my daughter. But she's making, 
She's making choices of discernment based on what we've been able to teach her, based on what we've learned from Jesus in the Bible. So I'm not saying Harry Potter or My Little Pony is right or wrong. I'm not saying you have to throw it out the door. I'm just asking you to be discerning in the decisions you make, in what you read, what you fill your minds with, what you fill your lives with. Because we are called to be holy because our God is holy. And if we look at the Israelites and how they lived and how they followed the rules of Leviticus, there was no, none of this kind of, oh, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? You know what the Israelites did? They just said no. They were too worried for them about being made unclean, about being isolated, about being separated. They wanted to dwell amongst the people of God close to the presence of God. So if there was ever a debate, has that bird eaten a mouse? Is the mouse still in that bird's stomach? Is that going to cause me to be unclean? It, it just wouldn't have been a debate. It would have been, no, just don't eat it. Get rid of it. Throw it. Burn it. Get rid of it. And they'd have, they were so concerned about being amongst God's people. And that's my motivation. I want to stay close to God. I want to stay close to his people. I want to walk in the light. I want to walk in the fullness of what God has for me. I want to walk in the fullness of what God wants for all of us. And my salvation is secure in Jesus. No one, nothing can take that away. If I read a dodgy book or watch a dodgy film, it's not going to separate me from Jesus. Jesus has made a way for all time, so don't hear me wrong. But I love Jesus, and I really appreciate what he's done for me. And I owe absolutely everything to Jesus. So I want to live my life in a way that honors who he is and what he's done. I want to try my best to be holy because my God is separated from everything else. And he is holy. He is set apart. Sorry, not separated because he's with us. My God is set apart because of his holiness. And I want to live my life with my God. So um, that's how I feel. So, Ben, do you want to start coming up? Um, Sorry to throw that little bombshell in there, you know, a little bit of thought-provoking stuff at the end of talking about discharges and all kinds of things. But we are called to be a discerning people. So I just want to encourage you to read your Bibles, to have these debates and discussions in life group, when you go for a walk with someone, if something's troubling you, if it's COVID, if you feel like you've got something you need to scream about, shout about, if you've kept all that mourning and grief locked inside, I encourage you to let it out with someone you know and trust. If there's something in your life that you're discerning and thinking, actually, I'm not sure if this is good for me. Chances are it's probably not, but talk to someone about it, have the conversation, go to the Bible and see what God says as a general theme if it's not an obvious yes or no in the Bible. Um, you've made a great start today by coming into his presence as a people together. God has opened the way, hasn't he, for us to come into his presence. That's for all of us, for all time, forever, unstoppable, unchangeable. So let's embrace that, let's celebrate that. Let's help others that haven't come back yet to come back together and be part of that community. I felt God challenged me um, last week specifically about lingering a bit longer, making decisions to linger in his presence a little bit longer. He's made a way. So what better way can I express my appreciation, thankfulness, gratefulness for what he's made a way for me is to make decisions to stay in his presence a bit longer. So that might mean... I stay a bit more focused on a Sunday morning. I put my phone away. It might mean I spend a bit longer at home listening to worship music, reading my Bible, talking to my children. But I want us to be a people that linger a bit longer in God's presence 
because he's gone to such great lengths. And as we read this passage, I'm so grateful that Jesus came and restored that relationship. Not just that we'd be banished from camp, allowed back in, banished, allowed back in, but Jesus has made a way for all time that we can dwell in his presence and live with him. So let's stand together. Let's remember kind of the notices before about, you know, we are so grateful so we can come boldly into the presence of God. And as we look up and look around us, there are people around us that want to come and want to know more. So let's be a people as well that are telling others around us about this good news. There is hope. There is freedom. There is help. There is more to life than what we see on the surface. So let's be people as well that, that look out um, and invite people in to come and meet our Jesus. So Jesus, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you that you made a way. I want to say thank you that you've shown us through your word just how holy, how set apart our God is and how far removed from him we were. But you made a way. Thank you, Lord, that no one, nothing can take anything away from that. And we can dwell in your presence with confidence because of who you are. And, and that's where we sit today. So thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for us. Amen.